prayers uh, for John to write them to offer hope and encouragement to a church that was really being persecuted. This is about 60 or 70 years after Jesus had resurrected and uh, and, uh, gone to heaven, about 90 A.D., around that time frame. And we know that there was extreme persecution. We're going to talk about that this morning in depth. But it also, for many of these churches, there was compromise. There was some spiritual um, uh, complacency that was also being dealt with. In each of these letters, there's a pattern that we see. And uh, if you look up here, in each week, there's the, we're going to look at the characteristics of Jesus. There's a compliment given to the church, and then uh, concern and correction, and then a commitment. And uh, almost all of those um, uh, the, of the letters follow that pattern. Actually, today is an exception to that, but I wanted to make sure that we remembered that piece because we'll come back to that. Well, last week we talked about Ephesus, right? A powerful city called the Vanity Fair of the time, uh, the commercial and religious capital. And they were commended for their perseverance, for their good works, for their hard work. But the critique, the concern was that they had forsaken their first love. They had walked away. Or they they hadn't walked away completely, but they had lost the fervor for that. They had drifted, we talked about. Yes, there was activity, but there was they were doing things out of sheer discipline and had lost their first love. And the encouragement last week, I hope this rang loud and clear, was get love back. Everyone say that. Get love back. And the way we did that last week was to repent and to remember. We remember what it was like when we first gave our hearts to the Lord. But then we also need to repent and say, God, if there's anything that has got in our hearts that has uh, uh, got us away from you, please help us. And, uh, and, and, and I just believe that that was a powerful word for us. I want to encourage you, if you miss any of these weeks, um, you can get online and listen um, to these messages and listen and let them uh, work in your heart or you're saying, man, I'd like to hear that again uh, or go a little deeper. Uh, we'd like to, for you to listen online. And then Wednesday nights, oh, man, I encouraged you last week uh, to come on out on Wednesday night. And uh, John is not here this morning. Uh, he, his back was hurting. And, uh, um, in fact, he's missed quite a bit of work this week, uh, John Taylor, and so we can be praying for him. Um, but John... Uh, did an incredible job taking us deeper into Revelation. We looked at Ephesus this last Wednesday night, and it was powerful. Uh, We had a great crowd, and I want to encourage you, this Wednesday night, we're going to have worship together, we're going to get back into God's Word, and then we're also going to spend some time around our tables discussing the things that are the truths, the issues that are uh, addressed in these letters. And so, uh, again, if you want to be blessed, how many want to be blessed? Then come on out on Wednesday night and let's be blessed together. Amen? All right. Well, this morning, uh, I'm going to talk about the letter written to the church in Smyrna. Now, I'm going to say Smyrna all morning long. Is that okay with everyone? I'm not sure exactly how to say it. Smyrna, Smyrna, <laughs> my wife has been giving me grief all all week long i've been talking about this and she's like and you say how what how do you say it smyrna she says it the right way she says but is it okay if i just say smyrna or i'll try to say smyrna or whatever <laughs> but before we read the letter to the church of Smyrna. I'm telling you, I'm just going to say Smyrna. Smyr, Smyr. It's going to be tough. Just go with it. Go with the flow, okay? But before we read, there's some important background that really makes the text pop that I want to make sure that we understand this morning, all right? And so the, the city of Smyrna it was a town of about 200,000 people. It actually rivaled the city of Ephesus, which last week we said was the epicenter or the mother church for the area. And they wanted badly, the church in Smyrna, 
Smyrna. I'm just going to say it the way that I've said it for years in my head, okay? <laughs> the church there, they wanted to be the first church. In fact, there's other writings around that time period that talk about them wanting to be the first church. And when we read the text, you're going to see why Jesus says what he does. But this this church, or the city, I'm sorry, was a large, wealthy seaport city. It was about 35 to 40 miles north of Ephesus. So, if, you know, the, the uh, proximity is maybe like from where our church is located to Holland, okay, you know, something like that. And they were known for learning and their sciences and medicine, and all of those things were flourishing at the time when this letter was sent to the church there. Now, it was a free city. It was self-governed. And when I say it was a free city, that means that slaves, once they were freed or ex-slaves, they could move to Smyrna and they could, uh, they could live there and get citizenship. And uh, we'll talk about how they did that in a minute. But what was interesting, it was a beautiful city. They prided themselves with beautiful paved streets. In fact, one of those streets was called the Golden Street. And you'll see again how the, knowing that will really make the Scripture pop this morning. It went from east to west. In the temp, there were several temples on this golden street. Um, the bookend temples were the te- temple to the goddess of uh, Sybil and on the other to Zeus. And in between was Apollos and Aphrodite and a few other goddess temples were built on this street. And I guess it was gorgeous. There were also theaters. There were stadiums that sat over 20,000 people. This is unbelievable. And Smyrna was a powerful city in itself. It's, in fact, the only city that still exists in its current form uh, today. It has a Turkish name now. It's the city. Does anyone know what it's called? I didn't know either. Nope, not Istanbul. Nope. It was, it's the city of Izmir, I-Z-M-I-R, today. And people visit there, and, they, and people that, that visit that region, in fact, my grandparents are leaving next Sunday, going to spend two weeks in, in that part of the world and uh, do some tours and things. But they say it's the most lovely city of, that, of Asia in that part. And even in Bible city, they would call that city the crown of Asia. And the crown, it, it referred to a horse-shaped um, seaport area um, of some incredible buildings and just gorgeous. But again, it, the crown of Asia is important. It was a flower, they would say, or an ornament the city was. What's also interesting about this city is that the city had been completely leveled and destroyed in 600 B.C. And over those 600 years till Christ was born, Uh, And then those first few years, the city had been rebuilt and, again, wanting to be first in the arts and in culture and in all ways. Their heart was to be first as a city. And even the church kind of picked up on that a bit. Now, there was a strong expression of Roman allegiance. The worship of Caesar, which we talked about for a moment last week in Ephesus, uh, was actually established in the city of Smyrna. And in order to get citizenship for this city, once a year, to get your papers, you would have to, they had these huge uh, idols, these big, robust um, statues. You would have to uh, go before the statue of Caesar and pinch some ashes and sprinkle it on the, the statue. And once you did that, paying worship or homage to, to Caesar, then they would give you citizenship to live there. Now, that caused some big problems for the Christian believers, and, uh, and that caused quite a bit of persecution that we're going to read about today. And so that's kind of some background. Uh, also, the city of Smyrna, uh, the word means uh, myrrh. Hold on. I just saw it in my notes here. First time. Myrrh. Smyrna. You're right. It just hit me right now. Smyrna. Let's say it together. Smyrna. And that word means suffering, and I'm suffering this morning (laughs) for the sake of the gospel, right? 
And then again, for the church, all right, for the church of Ephesus, we talked about last week, it was known as the Apostolic Church. And today we're going to see that the, the church of Smyrna, I'm getting it, I'm not saying it the other way ever again, it's the martyred church. And, uh, and so that's kind of where we're, uh, some background that's important. As you read this with me, um, you're going to see some of these things pop, and uh, hopefully there will be some really uh, great revelation. All right, stand up. We said this uh, for this series, we're going to stand and honor God's Word. We're going to read it and, uh, and, and glean as much as we possibly can. And so we're going to dive in. We're in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And let me say, this is a great time. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles stacked up on the back two tables. Grab one of those. And next week, if you're in, you come to church and you don't have your Bible, just pick it up with you. We think it's important to be flipping the Scriptures and uh, looking uh, at those uh, together. All right? We ready? All right. Let's read. Revelation 2, verse 8. It says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who was for, or who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for seven or for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Let's pray. Lord, these words are life to us. And we ask God in these next few moments, that they would be revealed to us in a powerful way, that there'd be understanding, but then there would also be application for each of us. Lord, we pray this for your glory, for your honor, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated. Amen. When we look at chapter 2, verse 8, the first thing we see like last week, is the characteristic of Jesus. It says there in, uh, in those verses that Jesus is the first and the last. And he's writing this to a church and to a city that is wanting to be first in the region. You get that? And it's very personal, very powerful. But that's not the only place where Jesus says he's the first and the last. If we look at Revelation 1, just on the other page, verse 17 and 18, it says this. It says, when I saw him, this is John, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me, this is Jesus, and he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And then he goes on to say, I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of Hades. Wow, that's a powerful verse. But what we see here is that there's, he's declaring, Jesus is, in his letter to the church, he says, look, nothing was before me, and nothing will come after me. He's also declaring that he has the final say on everything. Smyrna, the first city, would have heard this. Jesus saying to the church, saying, don't worry about the city or what the city is pursuing. And he's saying, look, I'm in control. Pursue me. Isn't that powerful? Very personal to the early hearers. He also goes on to say, he says, I not only am the first and the last, but I am who died and came to life again. He was dead, but now he's alive. That word dead means that he was in the grave. And that word alive is that he was resurrected, referring to his resurrection. And the, it's interesting that the city, again, was a dead city but had been resurrected, had been rebuilt, and had been priding itself. And don't you see, it? There's, there's power in this to those first hearers. 
The encouragement is saying, look, this is what you should live for. I am what you should live for. Jesus, there is no city, no empire greater than me. Powerful words in context. And of course, we read those and it's a statement of his deity. He's saying, look, I am God. I am God. And the message, this particular message, was a message to those that would end up giving their lives for Jesus, the martyrs. It's interesting, and this is a really mind-boggling uh, statistic, but in Fox's book of martyrs, it estimates that 5 million believers, Christians, died for their faith in the first 300 years of the church. I, I couldn't find another source to, to uh, uh, verify that, but even if it's half right, that's amazing, the amount of people that died for their faith. And, of course, the, this church was uh, right in the thick of that. Now we move on to verse number 9, and we see a compliment to the church. Let's go ahead and read verse 9. It says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. He's saying, look, you are rich, not in the sense of financial, and we'll talk about that in a second, but he says you are rich spiritually. He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, in his assessment here, he has three things that he highlights. The first thing, he says, I know your affliction. In the English, it does a poor job of reflecting what that word really is means. When you look at it in the Greek, it means to know a pressure, a pressure that you're under, a crushing pressure. In fact, uh, and of course we understand that that pressure that they would have been experiencing was from Rome and the empire there. But uh, Sam, can I use you for a second? Come here for a second, Sam. I want to give you a, a visual here, what this word really means. Put your head down here, right on the altar, all right? It, this word, and I just want to, it's like having your foot, a foot, on your neck, and your neck is about to break. Should we do it? No, we're not going to do it. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. That's what this word means. I know your affliction, that, you're, that there's pressure, a crushing pressure. You feel like you're going to break. And what's interesting is not only does Jesus say, I know this for the church there, John, who's writing this, on the first, uh, in the first uh, chapter of Revelation, he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering in the kingdom and patient endurance that uh, is yours, he says, I am suffering too on the island of Patmos. There was a tremendous amount of affliction put on the early church that, quite honestly, we cannot relate to, especially here in America. He also says, I understand, I know your poverty. What's interesting is you study the early church, much of the early church was made up of a poorer class. Again, something that we don't necessarily, uh, it's hard to grasp. Slaves, ex-slaves, freed slaves. And if you were wealthy and you lived in the city of Smyrna, it would have been confiscated. Because there was discrimination against the believers in the markets. And if you had once fell under Roman rule, and let's say you were a silversmith, for example, they would make these uh, emblems and sell them like hotcakes. But now these emblems that would honor Caesar, their kind of worship of Caesar, now we learned on Wednesday night, now those they would stop making those, and that would affect their pocketbook, the bottom line, poverty. But Jesus says, you are rich. And what he's talking about is not rich in, in fame or in fortune, but rich in faith. Turn with me to James chapter 2, verse 5. And listen, it says this. It says, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in what? Faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those 
that love him, they were rich in faith. And what's interesting is how that contrasts the church in Laodicea that we'll study on our seventh week in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Flip there for a second. Uh, now this is to the complete opposite. The church in Laodicea, they think they're rich. Verse 17, it says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And we're going to study that in a few weeks. But man, it is a complete contrast to the church in Smyrna. The people there, they were poor. They had lost income because of their faith. And they were just getting by. But God says, you are rich. The third thing that he says is that they were slander. And uh, what's interesting is you read that and study that is that, that what we understand is that the true source of the critique or the slander or the persecution comes from Satan. He just acknowledges it for what it is in Revelation um, chapter 2 there. He says, it's the, uh, but they are a synagogue of Satan. Wow, no punches pulled, right? He just says it the way it is. And really, the root goes back to Genesis chapter 3 when Satan tempted uh, Adam and Eve. And um, very interesting. Turn with me to John chapter 8. I want to look at uh, this verse here in John chapter 8, verses 44 through 47. This is interesting. Talking about. Uh, uh, well, let's, let's just read it, uh, starting in verse 42. It says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I am here. These are red letters to the church, or to, to, the, to his hearers. He says, I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Verse 43, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. There's blinders. They couldn't hear. They couldn't see what Jesus was saying. Verse 44, here's the kicker. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He's talking about the children of the devil here, people that are not followers of Christ, people that are attacking uh, what God is doing. He was a murderer for, uh, from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Talking about Satan. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. And, a, and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove my guilt, my guilty of sin, that I'm guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He's calling out to the church there uh, is when Jesus was walking on the earth. Again, the point is, is that there are going to be times that you are going to be criticized, critiqued, uh, persecuted, that root comes from Satan, and even Jesus experienced that sort of slander. He felt the exact same thing that the church in Smyrna was realizing. But I want to focus on two words in Revelation 2, verse 9, that are so powerful. And on a first read, you may not catch it, and it's Revelation 2, 9, where he says, I know. I know. It's full of meaning. One commentator said it's pregnant with meaning. And the idea that it's, if it, if it were to be delivered, that there would be so much truth. There's two ways to gain knowledge these days, isn't there? You can gain knowledge by going to Google and pretty much Google anything. What's the other way you can gain knowledge? by experience, right? And what Jesus is saying here is, I have experienced your affliction, your poverty, your slander. He's relating with the church. It's sympathy. It's, it's not only sympathy, but it's, it's, it's the reality. He's saying, look, I lived and I died. I know what poverty is. I know about the slander. I know about the persecution. I know about being abandoned. He's saying, look, I was there. 
our Lord and Savior knows what you are facing too today. He knows exactly what you are up against. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says that Jesus understands. It's worth turning there. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are without sin. Verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God, he wants to help us. He knows exactly where we are today. Jesus said to Smyrna, he says, I know you and I will rescue you, right? That's not what he says. I read this, and I'm thinking, if I were Jesus writing a letter saying, look, I know your affliction, I know your poverty, I know your slander, I know all this trouble, but I'm coming for you, right? I'm going to help you. Nope. He says, it's going to be worse. (laughs) Verse 10, let's look at it. Verse 10 says, Verse 10 says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. He says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Holy smokes. To hear that, they're saying, you know, they're listening. They're saying, oh, I know. I know your pain. I know your affliction. And then to say, brace yourself, there's more. You're going to be persecuted even more. And what's interesting when we talk about more suffering is that today, worldwide, there are churches that are suffering. We don't see it. It's not in front of our face all the time. I did a little research on that this week and uh, on prisoneralert.com. It's a church uh, website that, that tracks hurting churches or churches that are being persecuted. It says that in more than 40 nations around the world, Christians are being persecuted right now. Nations like Afghanistan and Algeria and Egypt and India and China and Colombia and Cuba. The list goes on and on. Uh, Pakistan and uh, Qatar and, and Yemen and Vietnam and Turkey and you know what's interesting? The church in Smyrna, that city, is still being persecuted today. The believers, the Christians there, still are being persecuted. But we know this, and we are to expect it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12, let's turn there for a moment. 2 Timothy I didn't mark it in my Bible. Hold on a second. <laughs> Second Timothy three. Verses twelve. Listen to what it says. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. What? While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's a warning for us, that we will be persecuted. Now, in our context here, it's different than the church that was hearing this for the first time. In West Michigan, we would probably all say, in many ways, it's hard for us to relate to that sort of persecution, especially to the point of death that he talks about in Revelation 2. But, You know, when we become personally involved with an unbeliever, we become specific about some of the patterns in their lives. How many know there is persecution? When we take a stand for purity, when we ask God for a backbone to be able to stand for business ethics, there's some persecution that comes. 
When you say, I won't cheat or I won't steal, students, you say, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to not look at my neighbor's test or I'm not going to steal from my neighbor or from the store. When you start, start to talk that way, there's some persecution that comes. You know what? One area that is just is so prevalent today, I was listening uh, to another pastor preach uh, this week, not on this subject, but he was saying in our culture today, it is just second nature for young people to grow up and to think it's just normal to live with their uh, engaged partner before they're married. That it's not even an issue. And boy, we start saying things like that, or we talk about homosexuality or other sinful behaviors. How many know there's some persecution that can come? Suffering, persecution. And what Jesus is saying to the church is, says, brace yourself. There's going to be more. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't give a con any concern, no condemnation for this church. No correction for Smyrna. And I thought about that. Why is that? Why, what, why was there no correction? In almost all the other cases, there is. And what's interesting is I thought about it is that they were in a desperate situation, being persecuted, and they were under fire from the city and from the business standpoint. And they, they were feeling it from all sides. And I know when we feel it on all sides, what does it do oftentimes? It brings us to our knees. And so what happens for us today is that we can kind of slide through life and kind of just, you know, in our American culture, we can get by or think that we, we're okay. And we can miss out on desperately seeking after God. But they didn't. There was no concern, no correction, but there was an action plan to deal with the suffering, to deal with the persecution. And we see that in Revelation 2.10. Let's read. Revelation 2.10, together. It says here, it says, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. For the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. And then he says, Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Remember, this is talking to the city that was the crown of Asia. He's saying, look, I'm going to give you the crown of life. But the first thing he says is do not be afraid. Stop being afraid. And you know what's interesting? The hearers of that, they would have known people already that had given their lives for the sake of Jesus. And many of them, after hearing those words, they would have went into the fire they would have went into whatever way they were, they were martyred. And many of them went in singing praises to God because of this encouragement to not be afraid. He's saying, don't be afraid. Stand strong. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 says this, or 1 Peter 3, 13 says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Stop being afraid, it's saying. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone or to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously the slander against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And then he says, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The first thing he says, the first action plan is stop being afraid. Do not be afraid. Greater is he that is in you than is he that is in the world. Do not worry about the Romans or the Jews. And then he says instead, be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful to the end. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 brings some light to this. In verses 8 through 12, 
It says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but are not crushed. Just put, put your mind with Sam's neck here on the line, ready to break, and uh, put, saying, look, be faithful in that. It says, we are hard-pressed, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. Verse 12, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. He's saying be faithful. Don't be afraid, but be faithful. Be faithful in affliction. Be faithful in poverty. Be faithful in slander, in persecution. And then he reminds them that Satan is responsible for the suffering. And it's interesting, it it mentions in there for 10 days. Some uh, commentators say that those are 10 literal days. Others actually look at 10 periods of uh, different Roman emperors that were were against the church. Um, Either way, The the root of the persecution comes from Satan. And he says, be courageous, or uh, don't be afraid. He says, be faithful even unto death. And then he promises the crown of life. He's talking to the crown city. And he's saying, look, this crown that you will receive will last forever. Jesus says, no critique to the church. But he says, I know, in a passionate plea. And he says, be courageous, be faithful, and he promises this crown of life. And then we read verse 11, where we see the commitment that Jesus makes to the church. And it's really powerful. Uh, I want you to read this. Verse, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, He who has ear, remember they would have been listening to this, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Interesting uh, section of Scripture there. The second death, talking about judgment, talking about uh, death. And what's interesting is that death was a real possibility for the believers in Smyrna. And he's saying, look, it's not going to hurt you. The second death. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Let's look at those verses. It says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He's saying to the church, you are going to overcome. And what's interesting is we distill this message, these three verses in Revelation chapter 2, these red letters are for us. They're for you. He was dealing with real issues to that church in challenging times, in a very challenging spiritual culture. And if we put ourselves in that place, we have real issues that we're all facing. Challenging times for many of us. And for some, especially if you're bold about your witness, there are some challenging spiritual circumstances or culture around us as well. Real pressure, crushing pressure, poverty, feeling like you're going to break slander. Maybe it's a physical issue in your body. What Jesus is saying to the church is, I know. Jesus knows and he cares. You know what's interesting? I've never had cancer. And so if you came to me and said, Pastor, I've got cancer, I can't really even say, you know, I know what that would be like. I can pray. I can Uh, gird you in prayer and and support you in that way. But Jesus, in that word, I know, he says, I know by experience. 
He took our disease. He took our infirmities. He took our sin. He knows. If you have pressure with relationships or pressure with finances or school or business or your marriage, Jesus knows what that is like. And he cares. If you wondered this morning if Jesus even knows about you, if you're on his grid, let me say loud and clear that he knows. He knows. And also, he provides a blessing for us if we heed his instruction to be courageous and to be faithful. If we fix our eyes on the one who says, I know you. I know Jesus will have the final say in everything. We can trust him. Can you hear the words of Jesus today? The red letters, are they screaming out to you like they are to me? He's saying, look, you are rich. Join me in suffering. Be an overcomer. Be courageous. Be faithful. But the bottom line for us this morning is that it is our choice. How many, just by a show of hand, would say, There's, I, I'm under pressure in some area of my life? Just, just show your hand. Yeah. Most of us. Or you know someone who is under pressure. Well, the answer to that is to be courageous and be faithful. And that's your choice. I don't know if you've ever heard the song by Matt Redman. Maybe you heard it on the radio. The song that said, and we've actually sang it here, uh, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. There's quite a story of why he wrote that song. Um, I listened to it this week. But there was a video put together of real people with real issues. And I want just to take a quick look at this as you consider the things that you may be dealing with. Let's watch this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your glory. 
This morning, every single one of us have a story, and there's issues, there's affliction, sometimes there's poverty, there's slander, persecution, and what Jesus says, he says, I know, he says, I know where you are. I know you're lost. I know you're hurting. I know where you are. And the call is, is to be faithful, to be courageous, and let God help us in our lives. If you're hurting this morning, but I don't, I, I do this kind of in fear because I don't want you to leave yet because this is not the end of the service. But I want us to sing this song. It's all those who are thirsty, all those who are weak, come to the fountain. And if that's you today, I want you to sing out especially strong and let this just seal in your heart what maybe the Lord is speaking to you. He's saying, I know. I care, and it's going to be okay. There might be more suffering coming, right? But he's going to give us the strength to do that. Can we stand and sing the song together? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's sing this together. Who are thirsty? All who are we come to the fountain. Lift your heart in a stream of life. Let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy.
get away from the, the impression of my heart that there are people here that are suffering, that are experiencing pain, that need the touch of the Lord this morning. They need it. Can you guys hear me? I can't even hear myself with everyone. There we go. Thank you. That need to hear, needed to hear the encouragement that was sent to the church in Ephesus. And if that's you this morning and you need encouragement, I want you just to slip out where you are. We're going to sing through this song again and just let it seal in our hearts. You know, we're going to come and we're going to pray with you and just uh, put our arms around you and love on one another. And uh, I just want to encourage you to do that. And you say, man, do I have to move? Uh, move. <laughs> Be courageous. It's a step of faith, and we want to know. So if you're here this morning, in any area of your life, in our suffering, our hurting, I want you to come, and we want to pray with you. Let's sing that again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Jesus, come. We need you, Lord. Would you come this morning? Come, Lord.
thankful for God's care for us. He's got his eyes on us, our every move. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows our comings and our goings. Nothing takes him by surprise. Whatever you're facing today, we can leave here with confidence that he knows. Let this word to the church in Smyrna be a word of revelation in your life today. Just one more thing. If you're here this morning and don't know Jesus, don't leave here without settling that. It's so simple to surrender to Jesus, to say, I'm sorry for the sin in my life. Please forgive me. If you need forgiveness today, don't leave this room without bowing a knee and saying, Jesus, cleanse my heart. Cleanse my heart. You know who you are. Jesus knows who you are. Don't run. Surrender. Surrender to his call on your life. I know we've gone a little longer maybe than we normally do. Let me pray a prayer of benediction. Then we're just going to sing through the song again. And if you want to come and spend some more time at the altar or sit down where you are, this is a place of worship. Refrain from conversation until you get out in the hallway, if you would, please. And let's just saturate this place. Continue to just let the Holy Spirit move in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. Help us to go in confidence, knowing that you care for us and you know exactly where we are. Lord, we honor you, we praise you, and we glorify your name. And Lord, we enjoy your presence. And Lord, I just pray that, that there will be many that won't just run off, but Lord, that will enjoy being in your presence, being filled up. And God, I pray that you would just break through into even the hardest circumstances. And Lord, as I prayed for those that came forward, that there would be a burden lifted, a weight lifted, and you would inject us with Holy Spirit joy. And Lord, we thank you for that, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in the grace of God. We love you. God bless you as you go.